Hello and welcome to the Bliss Tonic Podcast. You are here in the right place. If you want to learn how to use yogic philosophy to embrace and enjoy your time as a human on planet Earth with less judgment and more authenticity. You just get to be who you are. And I am your host, Michelle Anthony, yoga educator and amateur circus performer. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hello and welcome. Before we get into this week's episode with Violet Lang, I'd like to extend an offer for you to join a seven-week online course diving into the realm of the subtle. So this is for you if you feel like you need to get out of this mindset of just the daily habits and the daily grind, the hustle, and you want to move into that inner space and remember who you actually are. The purpose of the seven-week course is to increase your Shakti. This is our ability to hold and maintain a certain energy level and awareness that specifically is for that spiritual awakening. Now, this is going to help increase our intuition as we move into more subtle experiences of who we actually are. This is also going to help you move through any stuck emotions and to help you stop resisting whatever it is that's trying to move through you and step into a more loving mindset. Now, throughout the seven weeks, you'll have each week a recorded lecture, which will be very similar uh, format to this podcast. So uh, following the lecture, you'll have uh, yoga practice and meditation. You can do them separate. However, they're designed to be done together. Um, But I just want to make it more accessible. So if you only have 15 minutes, you can do the asana practice and then later the 15-minute meditation. But they are designed to be done together. Following that, you'll get your mindfulness practices to implement for the week based on the practices that we did and the lecture content. So if you're interested in learning more about Subtle, the energy of transformation, you can check out the link below and sign up. The content will be released on March 23rd and registration will remain open for several weeks after that. Are you ready to dive into this week's episode? Let's do it. I just had to get that in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bliss Tonic Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Violet Lang, a love, dating, and relationship mentor. She has an MBA from Harvard, has a training from the Coach Training Alliance, and is a 500-hour registered yoga teacher. Welcome, Violet. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So I love how we got hooked up to connect with one another. Um, such a wise thing to ask on Facebook. Who wants to be in interview for podcasts? I have a podcast. Who else has podcasts? And just connecting us that way and a mutual friend hooked us up. 
Yeah, I was really delighted to be put in touch with you because it sounds like we have similar um, passions and interests and um, both curious about India and a bunch of other things. I love that you do subtle body trainings and yeah, so much cool overlap. And I'm from the Midwest as well. So I was really, really grateful for the introduction. And I love your podcast and the idea of, you know, really being in our bliss and, and following our bliss body. Yes. And you reaching out to me after um, Sarah, shout out Sarah Theron, um, f- hooked us up. You, The first thing you said was about, oh, India. And it was very interesting because like that same day I was reaching out to my teacher, which I think we share a teacher, Tanya, um, mm-hmm. at Devanati. And I reached out to her and I was just thinking about India and then you sent that message. I was like, whoa, okay, this is, he's <laughs> <it's> coming <laughs> up for me. Um, so, yeah. so why don't you just tell us a little bit about how, how do you get started being a love dating and relationship mentor? I'd love to share some of my journey. So I really struggled with relationships in my, in my past, my, 20s, I was actually married for five years, but it was a, it was a sexless marriage and there wasn't a lot of passion and connection. We had met in college and just been, you know, um, like friends and, and more than friends. And then it, it became a marriage and I was really settling in that relationship and not settling because he wasn't a great person, but settling in terms of the type of dynamic growth oriented relationship where that has a level of similar vision or similar values and and spiritual um, outlook on life. And so I got divorced when I was 27 and I had to go through a lot of healing just from going through a divorce. And that was really frowned upon by my family and, and other people that I knew. And I thought I was going crazy half the time, but it was actually really the start of my spiritual journey. The first person I dated after my, uh, my husband and I got divorced, gave me the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And that really started me on this spiritual path, even though I had been doing yoga actually since I was like 25 and Pilates since I was 23. It it catalyzed me linking my spirituality with my yoga practice and with my meditation practice in a much more um, personal, personal way to have to go through that. And then, yeah, I just really struggled with dating um, for a while and got ghosted and breadcrumbed and Um, cheated on and you know all the things and I realized there's got to be a better way but every time that I tried to learn more about dating it felt so strategic and manipulative like what to do to get the guy and it didn't feel very heart-centered and so I I started my own journey of of really finding dating tools that felt authentic and grounded and embodied and fun and you know were effective as well and then little by little I just started coaching women on this I had people approaching me asking me about what I did and um, somewhat reluctantly shared because I felt like it wasn't quite as credible as maybe the business work that I had been doing. So I was doing executive coaching for a while, but most of my executive coaching clients ended up asking me about their relationships after a few months of our work together. So everything morphed into that direction anyway. And and now here I am having worked with hundreds and and, um, hundreds of women really closely and thousands of women in terms of training. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was just watching one of your videos on your business page Mm -hmm. and it was the like three top tips for dating. And it's something that I, so I've, and you can maybe talk more about this, but 
Um, I've never done online dating. Um, I have friends who who have, um, and I've sometimes just like had had fun swiping for them. But really, it's like a game. It's not like a, a conscious um, dating opportunity. Um, so I guess I would just love to, I, I know I have a lot of um, friends who are single and there's a lot of listeners out there who maybe have been single for a while or have, you know, just had not had not had the best of luck dating. So what would you say mm-hmm. to those who are looking and who are maybe like us, like on a spiritual path and looking for that person who's going to match us in our growth? That's a great question. I think that the dating industry, so to speak, with the apps and everything really gets it backwards and like you said makes it a game and it feels very transactional and then we have transactional dating experiences where uh, it doesn't feel like rich and nuanced and deep and connected the way that we want it just feels like oh can we meet each other's needs and we might actually be dating someone who has a very short-term focus on their needs versus long-term so I'll get off my soapbox about that but I think the main thing is to really not lower your standards. And a lot of people think, oh my gosh, but I haven't had a date in a while, or it's been a long time since I've been in a relationship. I should, you know, compromise. I should um, want less. And I find that the less that we want, the less that we get versus really knowing that we are worthy and deserving of something that really feels good. And that's, that's actually the second thing I would recommend is follow your pleasure, you know, do what feels good. And it's so easy in our modern world to get sucked into just work or into the day-to-day. But when we really focus, and this is, I think, a theme that you cover a lot in the podcast, but when we really focus on what brings us joy and what brings us pleasure, then that becomes the new barometer. Like, okay, I'm going to just hang out with people that feel good to hang out with versus as women, we sometimes get trapped into a life of obligation or taking care of others. And so that might look like practically, you know, taking yourself out on your own self-dates to meetup events or art gallery openings or, you know, a sporting event or sit at the bar and make conversation, like allow yourself to feel good and for others to see you enjoying your life is a, is a great way to meet people in real life. And then the third thing is if you are going to use the app, you know, really make sure that you are having vulnerable, real conversations when you're messaging with someone, not just, oh, we like the same kind of sandwich. Like, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like easy to just talk about more superficial stuff, but take a risk and ask them what they're passionate about and what's been challenging for them in their life and, you know, what they're hoping to create for themselves in the next five or 10 years and, and share those same things about yourself. And if someone says something that rubs you the wrong way, instead of, um, just glossing over it be vulnerable and share oh that didn't land well with me can you share more about you know where you're coming from or oh I I felt a little confused by your comments and obviously if it's something really egregious like someone sending you a naked picture you don't really want to ask them more about why they sent that you just move on but but you know we sometimes feel like we've got to just be perfect or be the cool girl and not really share how we feel and then yeah, we we are then with people who are also just playing you cool and not really being emotionally available. Yeah, I love that. It's really all about knowing yourself and and spending time with yourself in the way that you would want to engage with dating. So mm-hmm. I 
um, I definitely see this a lot, but what do you say uh, to people who like, gosh, I am I'm out there, I'm doing all these different things, and the same person keeps coming into my life, and it seems good, and then all of a sudden, it's like they're into this thing that I'm not into, or it's the same type of people are showing up for someone. Mm. Yeah, I'd really be curious your perspective on this too, in terms of not just relationship, but patterns in our life and um, some scars or whatever we call them. I forget the exact term in the yoga tradition, but yeah. these patterns that we get into and it's so frustrating, but also a huge opportunity for growth. And I view it the same way with relationship, like, oh, okay, here's this groove or this pattern that I've gotten myself into. And there's some sort of payoff, you know, like for me, I was in a groove for a while where I would date someone and it would only last about three to six weeks and then we'd break up and it was similar to what you said either I'd find something out about them that didn't fit well with me in terms of our values or vision for life or you know they'd be wanting to date a bunch of different people and I was looking for partnership but I just could not get into a committed relationship to save my life and I realized that there was some deeper work I needed to do on my own vulnerability and emotional availability and also on what I found attractive. So I use the word catnip for our dating patterns. Like we all have this catnip of what we find attractive chemically, like the chemical hormones of, of meeting someone. But it's usually rooted in the past and in a deeper need that we didn't get met when we were young. So my catnip was dating kind of emotionally unavailable men who were really creative, but not very um, grounded and not very uh, active in their life. And now, if I were to go to a party or something, I could see, oh, I feel drawn or I feel this chemical pull, even though I'm obviously very happily married, I could feel like this chemical pull to someone in the room. And if I think to myself, oh, this is fun, like, let's treat this as a little game, instead of engaging in it, like, how can we observe it differently? You're like, okay, I feel an attraction towards this person. Yeah, I get it now. They're too cool for school. They're kind of on the periphery of the party. They're dressed really cool, but they're kind of a little bit I don't know, condescending in their energy and um, seem like they like kind of dark and brooding and not totally available. And then I can laugh at myself and be like, oh, yeah, that's so funny how that pattern would never actually work for me. But the payoff is that it keeps me in an anxious state and that anxiety like feels better than than feeling good in some ways because it feels familiar. But that's not what I really want. So it just feeds into my anxious attachment style. Mm, yes that's really interesting and I feel like that's like what are they reflecting to us how we feel about ourselves in some way or how is that a mirror for us to be able to say okay I keep attracting this same person what are they showing me about myself and so specifically I have been uh, in a training and talking with somebody and if you're listening to this hi <laughs> um, but she is uh, specifically looking for partnership and on the abs and like very specifically partnership and every person she, you know, gets to hang out with and meets. And then all of a sudden she finds out that they're poly um, and, mm -hmm. you know, isn't dating multiple people or something like that. And it's a complete, you know, shut down from there, but they keep showing up. So I guess, do you have any like thoughts? Like what, what might that be about? Like, are they just maybe emotionally unavailable or, you know, just interpreting these people we keep attracting and what is that showing us? 
Yes, this is such a fun topic because everything is a mirror and there's also the law of opposites. So there's the law of attraction, but also the law of opposites. And I find that's a lot in whether it's an anxiously attached person who's attracting an avoidant person or a committed person who's attracting someone who's poly or someone who is uh, really empathic, attracting someone who has more narcissistic traits. So there is this kind of opposites attract thing that happens. But I agree with you, there's oftentimes a um, a shadow side or like an unconscious side that this person is showing us about ourselves. So for that example of attracting someone who's poly is maybe there's a piece of her that wants to be more relaxed when it comes to looking for a partner. Like I know that I started attracting people who are more into poly when I was actually like really focused on, oh my gosh, I want to have a baby. I need to attract someone that has, you know, partnership potential and wants to get married. And the more laser focused I got on a particular outcome and the more rigid I got, then the more I was attracting people with not rigid who were, you know, didn't have a lot of, um, of that same intensity around around commitment and so it was an opportunity for me not to say oh commitment doesn't matter to me anymore but to be fiercely committed to myself more than committed to a certain outcome with a partner like more committed to myself and what I wanted than um, to like getting someone to like me or making sure the relationship lasted when it might not have even been the right relationship for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess like how did you overcome that then? What were what steps did it just like after enough time those people stopped showing up once you stood in your worth for a certain amount of time? Or like, you know, what do you say to people who are kind of at that point where like, okay, I've said no to all the things that are not working. Why isn't this person showing up? Um, do you have anything to say to that? Like, is there like a level of desperation in there or what do you interpret in something like that of somebody who's maybe feeling aligned, who's saying no to things that aren't in alignment and that person still isn't showing up in their lives? I think it takes a few things. It takes, like you said, standing in the work. I really love that, that phrase and saying no to the things that aren't working and for me, I started asking people much earlier on in the process, instead of finding out after three or four weeks that they were into poly, I would ask them on a first or second day, like, oh, how do you feel about polyamory? And that would give me a clear sign. And then knowing that, you know, that that doesn't work for me, but thank you for sharing. And we should probably go our separate ways. Um, and with that said, you know, I did ask my husband how he felt about polyamory on, I think, our first or second date. And he was like, yeah, I'm not into it, but maybe I would be at some point. And it was this huge catalyst for a very deep conversation. So I was like, oh, that, you know, that makes me feel sad because I really feel a connection with you, but I know that that wouldn't work. And so we both, what I call like held differences, like he felt like that could be an option for him at some point. I felt strongly that was never going to be an option for me. And we still got to know each other over the course of like six weeks, but I never gave up on my you know, position or how I felt. And I was willing to then, you know, talk to other people or date other people, not intensely. It wasn't like I was sleeping with a bunch of people, but I was seriously committed to myself and keeping my options open. Like, you know what, if it's not him, it's going to be someone who's an even better fit for me. And I'm more committed to myself than to like locking it down with him or, or someone else and having this so-called outcome, but without the the respect and the values and, and all of that. And then after we had been dating for a few months, my husband 
my now husband was like, I'm so thankful for your patience. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I think in my head, I just wanted this concept, but I really want the real thing, which is what we have. And so we became inclusive and, and that's that. But um, yeah, I think part of it is standing in your work and just continuing to ask the questions and not run away from the answer. And then part of it too is unpacking, like we talked about, what part of us wants to be not more casual, but wants to be less connected to the rigidity around a certain around a certain outcome. But I know commitment and structure of relationship is is a deal breaker. You know, I'm not advocating that people just date someone who's poly because they think that they need to like loosen up their rigidity on their outcome. But we need to work on the mindset, uh, the mindset piece, the beliefs that we hold about ourselves and what we're worthy of and what works on us, what works for us and what we can talk about in the be- very beginning of the relationship versus wait to see. And then the last piece I just want to address really quickly is integration. You know, I find a lot of times women are either dating just from their body and they're attracting men that they're physically into, but might not have the other like emotional depth or spiritual depth or they're dating just in their heart and might meet someone who has great emotional chemistry and great um, spiritual chemistry, but doesn't necessarily have the same beliefs in life in terms of like relationship structure. So they might meet someone who's poly, but they're very emotionally and spiritually sensitive, but they don't have the like physical structures in their life that they're looking for. Or we date from our head and we date someone who's perfect on paper, but we don't really feel physically attracted to. So a large part of what I work with women on is how to integrate our head, our heart, our body, and from a like energy body perspective, how to really open and balance our second, fourth, and sixth chakras and really align our second, fourth, and sixth chakras so that we are following our intuition, staying connected to our heart, and really being in a healthy, embodied sexuality. I love that. And a lot of what you're saying, too, makes me think of some of the concepts that are brought up in the Bhagavad Gita and it's all about surrender the outcome but you you, what you were talking about it like right away you were like hey this is what I want and this is what I don't want how do you feel about that not and and being strong but not necessarily like I I don't know, forceful about it, like, okay, bye. Mm -hmm. Um, But just be willing to have the conversation and feel it out and, you know, wait for the answers. But that, that surrender to the outcome, like it might, it might work, it might not work and keep my options open, but, but be really straightforward uh, from the get go. And that's just doing what you need to do in order to, you know, be in alignment with your desires. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because I did that too. <laughs> I, awesome. yeah, when I met my partner, I was only a few months single and kind of was ready to be single from a relationship that was not serving me in any way and in a way blocked my spiritual side in order to mm-hmm. to be in that relationship um, or felt mm-hmm. like I needed to justify um, my spirituality all the time. Um, and so I actually was working with a, a coach, very interesting, a kundalini hoop dance um, coach. <laughs> cool. uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really cool program. Um, but in the end, it was, you know, okay, I'm ready to be single. And she's like, great. Now's the time to make your list of how you want a partner to be. 
And I was mm-hmm. like, what? Okay, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I did and ended up um, dating somebody from work. Um, but I felt initially like maybe it was too strong. And so we like pulled back and then he pulled back too much. And at a certain point, I was I broke up with him and I was like, look, you know, this isn't really what I want. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we kept hanging out uh, because we were really attracted to each other and just had a lot of fun together. And then it slid back into dating. And then, you know, that kind of energy of him not wanting to push me away. Um, and then I was like, I broke up with him a second time after, I mean, this was maybe like eight months of dating on and off and I broke up with him Mm. again and he said no like I'll I can be that person like and I want to be um you know and it yeah I I won't forget that moment of of him just being Mm. no no like now that I know what you want this is this is what I want to um but there's like you said it's just a lot of games and and it's really about being secure in yourself in order to know exactly what you want and then be willing to get over yourself and get over this fear of rejection and this attachment to the outcome in order to be strong enough and and just speak your truth and I think that's a thing that Mm -hmm. a lot of women have trouble with is is just speaking your truth in relationship especially when we are single and we do seek maybe validation or we want to be desired because that's what we're taught from this patriarchal society that our value is in our objectification and it's something that's really hard to unwire in regards to dating Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel really strongly about that, about uncoupling this patriarchal view of what is sexy and finding for ourselves what is sexy and and what feels good for um, our nervous system. And, you know, ironically, healthy masculine really loves emotional range and variety of like appearance. And it doesn't have to be just what media deems to be a certain look um, or a certain energy. But we, we don't know that sometimes when we're just, like you said, in those cycles of dating and when we really reclaim our authentic, both, we all have feminine and masculine, so feminine and masculine energy. But when we say, no, enough of, of shutting ourselves down. I love what you said about, you know, I had to block my spiritual side to be in that relationship. I can totally relate. How many times have I compromised myself in order to be liked? And um, it's hard to get over that, but it's, it's the only way forward with a really true authentic relationship that can grow because if you're, if we're compromising parts of ourselves to date and then we're with someone where we have to compromise, it just the relationship will continue to feel severed versus like, Ooh, how can we keep growing and inspiring each other and be conscious in our relationship? Mm. This really makes me think too of, and maybe I'm really off base in regards to like what you would recommend and say to somebody, but it makes me think of, you know, sometimes if you do like business coaching or if you are in sales, um, like say I'm trying to sell a course or a product and there's this like philosophy of collecting no's um, as a way to get comfortable with this sense of rejection in a way or, you know, standing in your power of like, this is what I'm offering. This is what I'm selling. You can say yes or no, and it doesn't affect me. What do you have to say about like paralleling that, like collecting those people who are like, oh, you're not a good fit. OK, on to the next one. You just keep doing what you need to do and standing in your power. 
Mm. Is that too salesy yeah, transactional? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the idea of standing in your power. And I do think having that healthy confidence that if it's not this guy, it's going to be the next one. The only thing that I would say is slightly different is I really teach that dating is not a numbers game. It's an energy game. So you can go through a process of the nose and I see women go through that, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred dates or a certain number just to like build that backbone. What I typically find is that, you know, people come to work with me with a certain pattern that they've been experiencing or, or some mindset challenges or types of person they're attracting. And then they do some deep healing work and then they get really clear on what they want. And when they get clear on what they want, they will go through a cycle of, oh, man, I'm not really seeing the people that I want or what I call the Goldilocks cycle. Like he has this, but not that. Or, you know, she has um, this, but not that. And so then all of a sudden they're getting to meet people who are closer and closer to what they want. And then one of those people ends up being ends up being their partner. And I always tell women it's because uh, I, I just work with women um, that of all different sexualities. But I always tell women, you know, you're going to get what you want, but you just may not get it in the exact proportion that you expect. And you may want someone who's spiritual and rides a motorcycle. And, you know, maybe he's super spiritual and, and his friend has a motorcycle he rides sometimes. Or maybe, you know, he rides a motorcycle and he's not super spiritual, but he's very open-minded and, like, would love to go with you on your spiritual adventures and that's just a silly example but um it's kind of like we have what we want and we can get that in varying degrees and the whole package comes together like a special you know soup and every ingredient is used in a little different proportion I love that and that openness too I see reflected in what you brought up with your own story of your now husband saying you know no but I'm open um so it's just like that not like what are your non-negotiables Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a book called Truth in Dating by a woman named Susan Campbell. And it's all about sharing our truth, owning our truth, and also holding differences. Just because we have a truth doesn't mean that we get to bully other people who don't have that same truth. And doesn't mean that we should outright reject that person either. Now, some things are just maybe not lifestyle compatible. If you don't want to be with someone who smokes, and that's a deal breaker, then that's a deal breaker. But I find that other than some lifestyle things about um, smoking or, you know, certain people feel very strongly about having kids or not having kids and religion, you know, if you have a certain religion, that's really important to you. Those things can be deal breakers. But outside of that, there's a lot more gray area. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we just outright reject someone without having the conversation. We, we can have the conversation and still have the same outcome. Like, yep, that person's not for me. We're going to learn a lot more about ourselves and about the dating process by having those conversations. Uh, yes, it's all the self-work. It all is about going inward. So what would you say then to those of us listening who are, are in a relationship and maybe have gotten stuck in the patterns of like, okay, we go to work, we go this, we watch Netflix, we do this. Um, and this is something that, I mean, I personally go through cycles in and then you're just like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Um, so what do you say to people who maybe feel like stuck in a rut in the relationship or who are in one of those cycles right now where they need that spark of passion in order to connect deeper? Mm. 
I love that question because it's so common in relationship. And I believe we need both cycles of closeness and cycles of separateness. And the separateness doesn't mean that you're not in relationship, but there's a concept of like closeness and then re-individuation where we rediscover ourselves and we have something new and fresh to bring to the relationship. So it might look like if you're interested in taking a course that you take a course, or if you get excited about cooking that you take a cooking class and not with your partner, which I know we want to spend sometimes every moment with our partner, but the more that we have healthy hobbies and interests and friends and things that light us up, that we're staying curious about ourselves and staying really committed to our own self-growth and spiritual path, then that brings something new to our partner. But while we're enjoying that new thing or learning about that new thing, we might not actually feel that connected to our partner, that we want to be passionate with our partner, but we can trust that if both partners are focused on self-growth and connecting to each other, that it will come back. And I'll share some like more practical ways to do that. But I also like this term interdependent. You know, we're graduating as a society, hopefully from being codependent in a relationship and then being independent in relationship, which is part of also what I see in sometimes in um, poly relationships and then into interdependent relationships where we both are dependent on each other, but independent of each other. And we can navigate both of those phases without uh, a lot of strife. And I always picture the infinity sign. It's like we connect in that center point in the infinity sign, but then we loop out and get the gifts and experiences of other things. And our partner is the other half of the infinity sign, you know, kind of doing that same thing. So that on a philosophical level is, is really important. And then recognizing how easy it is to get into logistics there's a poet david white and i love his poetry and he said something in a i think it was in a poem or it was in an interview that he did which is you know the lowest level of relationship is when we become an army of two uh two managers and so it's so easy to just like manage your life and manage the logistics and have that be all that you talk about especially when you have a child um so just recognizing like okay i'm just gonna not talk about logistics for a certain amount of time where I'm going to focus on the energy of the relationship versus the logistics of the relationship. And for women, especially, that means following our pleasure and really staying connected to our desire. I know a lot of Eastern schools say that the desire is the root of all suffering, but for feminine energy, desire is, is a beautiful pathway. And then, uh, as you know, some of the more tantric traditions it is about the five senses and enjoying the five senses and using that as a pathway to the divine. So not losing sight of what feels good for you and, and being able to bring that life force, that life force energy back to your partner. And specifically, I work with women through a, a practice called Jade Egg, and it's a tradition from the Taoist practice and from the East, but it's a great way to stay connected to your sensuality and your sexuality uh, I think as women, it's really easy to cut off from our sexuality or our sensuality, especially when we've been with someone for a long time and and we've merged so completely that there's not a lot of that chemistry or that um, opposites attract energy anymore. And the, the jade egg helps you to bring your own healthy sensual energy and your own sense of desire for yourself and sense of feeling desired by the divine or by, you know, whatever it is that you're kind of opening to in that moment. Yes, this reminds me of uh, Red Striker for Desires, that especially mm-hmm. from this tantric viewpoint of we have different desires and they are a pathway to discover who we are and what we're here to do. And that's part of our divine purpose is 
is to have desire and let them lead us inward into mm-hmm. to ourselves to reveal more about ourselves. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, I love that idea of, you know, focusing, so kind of echoing what I heard is focusing on your own pleasure and and that relationship with your own sensuality and sexuality and increasing that for yourself if you're feeling stagnant. And mm-hmm. having that sense of independent um, excitement about life. So what would you say then if maybe so? And I also have a baby, as we discussed, and it's so easy. <laughs> I, you just like, OK, you pick up the baby at this time. I'll see you at this time. We'll hang out for 30 mm-hmm. minutes at night and then we'll go to bed. So we get enough sleep. Like, <laughs> and then we'll watch Netflix and not even talk. Um but that sense of like independent passion being sparked. So what would you say if like one partner is in that space of like growth and independence and inspiration and the other one maybe feels stuck or depressed or you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've gone through this in my relationship and, and relationships and it's, it's really common for one partner to be in a phase of excitement and growth and another partner to maybe be struggling or not feeling that energized by their work or, um, and I think the more that women in society have followed their pleasure and carved out really unique career paths and um, created lives that are really fulfilling, the masculine energy in society is going through a huge rebuild or, or rebirth, I hope. And it can be common for men to, I'm not, it doesn't always have to be men, but masculine energy to, kind of wonder what their place is anymore and and similarly as a woman having a baby I'm wondering what is my place right now and who am I and what am I doing and so these like crises of identity can really come up in a in a meta way and then just on a practical way like you said we can get into a rut of kind of doing what's comfortable because it's just overwhelming to go through some of these big life changes or we we don't know what our next step in our path is but I think that having a discussion and being able to share with a partner, like I'm feeling really excited about X, Y, Z. What's exciting you right now? You know, what are you passionate about? What are you nervous about? Like bringing more vulnerability into the relationship, even though you probably feel like, you know, the collective you, we all feel like, well, how much more vulnerable can I be? Like I literally live with this person. (laughs) I'm so vulnerable, but being able to talk about how you feel. I mean, at one point I, I had a conversation with my partner and it's just like, I feel really, feel really angry. I feel like I'm, you know, not being met right now the way that I want to be met. I want to be excited. I want to be, you know, with, with someone who's also feeling excited. And, and he was just going through a huge transition. And I have my times where I'm feeling not very excited, but we, I think sometimes don't voice those things because we don't want to hurt our partner's feelings, but it's better to say, you know, I'm pissed. I'm pissed that we don't have more passion in our relationship than to just pretend that we can go without for, you know, a decade. And I did that in my twenties in my first marriage with that sexless marriage. And it just wasn't, um, wasn't something I want to repeat. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's something too, that I find that, I mean, I don't know if I want to call them fights, but these expressions of emotions that mm-hmm. can maybe like then be like, well, I feel this way. Well, I feel this way. They always end up 
enhancing our relationship in the end because yeah. we were able to express the emotion that maybe has just been pushed down because of being stuck in that like logistical mindset and then it's like well all this other stuff needs all these other needs to be need to be met as well um and just discussing that can sometimes be you know not a calm affair but in the end it's always enhancing our lives and our relationships yes and I think that's something beautiful about the tantric path and the yogic path of embracing emotion you know not being afraid of emotion because it's energy it's energy trapped in our body and our nervous system that once expressed can really put things into motion and I use a really simple framework with my clients and with myself which is I feel I want like I feel blank and I want blank and just developing that in our vocabulary and something as simple as I feel hungry and I want you know like a nice hearty stew or I feel afraid. I feel afraid that we're losing our romantic connection. And I want to feel the same passion we had in the beginning of our relationship, you know, something that's more, more of a vulnerable share. Yeah. I find sometimes that when those vulnerable shares are made and, you know, there's sometimes this sense of defensiveness that Mm -hmm. is met with either in, our partners or in us where it's like, ugh, because it hurts to hear that, you know, you're not meeting the needs or your needs are not being met and to, to make it about you. Um, and then it's like, sometimes the, the cycle I notice is like defensiveness to like anger, to coldness, to finally expressing, you know, emotion and then moving into understanding so what do you have to say to you know maybe those of us who get defensive in those instances do you have any tools yes the first one is just owning our experience it's really easy to either shut down or to say like well you this or you know with a passion example like will you just wear your bathrobe around the house and thinking of myself <laughs> post baby just wearing my bathrobe around the house most of the days but um, you know, it's easy to kind of like blame the other person if they're sharing a vulnerable need or like you said, to kind of shut down, but just naming it saying like, oh, I'm feeling really triggered or I'm noticing I'm feeling defensive or I feel, I feel hurt and I don't know how to respond yet and I need some time or um, hearing you say that I feel. So just taking the you out of it and the tendency to say like you did this or you didn't do that. And then the shutdown part, which is really common in our nervous system to either go into please or appease or just to totally freeze and just naming that and saying, I'm feeling, I'm feeling reactive or I'm feeling defensive. I mean, my partner says that all the time. If I say something and he says, I'm noticing I feel defensive, then it diffuses things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, I felt that way before too. Like I, it softens things enough that we can keep a dialogue going. Emotional intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) so let's maybe talk about uh well I think this is actually kind of like a two-part question so you know Mm -hmm. the importance of relationship we have these places blue zones and there's so many studies around longevity in life and and not only how long you live but the quality of your life is like one of the number one things that improve that longevity is 
relationship is community. And so maybe just speaking to that or, you know, sometimes, especially in the beginning of relationship, we have only each other. So the importance of that interdependence of having that other friends and and that wider sense of community and how maybe that affects your relationship. Mm, absolutely. And relationship is key to our health and wellness. Like you said, the blue zones, there's a lot of relationship, healthy relationship, lasting relationship, community. They've done studies that your happiness in life is predicted primarily by your relationships more than anything else, more than your bank account or your health even. It's really about how comfortable you feel in, in relationship because relationship is healing when our nervous systems can be with another person in attunement that's healthy. We get to relax. We have the oxytocin of touch. We have the sense of safety versus having to always be hypervigilant if it's just ourselves. And I love that you asked both about romantic relationship and community because I feel really strongly that we need both. You know, we need our romantic partner, but then we need friends and colleagues and people to connect with outside of our romantic partnership. And there may be some overlap. I think it's natural for your friend groups to start to merge, but still meeting new people and doing new activities like I talked about earlier is, is really, really important. Yeah. And I definitely notice, you know, and you probably see this too, when a friend starts dating somebody and you don't see them for like six months. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I actually recommend that people introduce a potential partner to their friends somewhat early because your friends can help tell you like, oh, I really like who you are around this person or, oh, I, I noticed that, you know, this person didn't maybe bring out the best in you. And it's, it's good to not kind of fall off the cliff in terms of just spending all of our time with this person that we're getting to know, because then we might be avoiding red flags. We might be missing things about the person and the relationship and we're just getting all consumed in it. Um, I really believe that relationship is like the new frontier in terms of spiritual path. Like there's only so far we can go spiritually on our own and in the mountaintop or in the cave meditating. And then we have to interface with the real world and being in a romantic relationship will press all of your buttons and bring up everything you need to heal. And so being willing to um, be open about that instead of just treating relationship as like something fun and, and, um, you know, hedonistic for the first six months and then we get into the real world and then it doesn't last and we're just back to that same cycle. It's the fast track to enlightenment. (laughs) I would say that and probably having children as well. Yeah, and we do have these cycles and it's V-Yoga and Samyoga, the V-Yoga of the separation, of going into the cave, (laughs) going into your meditation practice and then the Samyoga, bringing it into the world and and how are you able to integrate it and relationship truly, all relationships are so important for showing you also what's inside of you with children especially you'll find that you know if you go and meditate every day and you're single you can make a lot of progress on this path but you introduce this aspect of maybe like the karma of all of these relationships that are really intertwined with your own energy and you'll see some things about yourself <laughs> that you're like oh, yeah. I hate that I do that or I can't believe I reacted <laughs> like that I wouldn't 
be reacting like that in my life if this relationship wasn't here. But in a way, you wouldn't even know that about yourself. And that's the the really cool thing about being in that space of Samyoga is you learn a lot about yourself really fast when you have all of these interactions that, you know, uh, bring things up for you. And we can either stay there or we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely have that with I also so I have also three stepkids and it's oh, cool. yeah, it's very interesting plus a baby and been with my partner now for uh, over 6 years and it's really interesting to see all the things that like maybe I would consider that I'm not happy about from the way I was raised, which we all have that regardless of who our parents are. Mm-hmm. Um and then to see myself replaying those patterns <laughs> and having mm-hmm. that awareness to feel like oh why did I do that okay that does not feel good and how can I do better because they will show you what's there that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise seen mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so one last thing I wanted to talk about is this difference between um like conscious single and that would be maybe somebody who has been in a long-term relationship and ready to spend some time getting to know themselves and spending time maybe understanding what they actually want in a relationship after this whole however long experience of understanding what they don't want. Um, And then maybe Mm -hmm. this type of single person who says they're fine alone, but then is also on like five dating apps and going on all these dates, but then will in person say, oh no, I'm fine being single. So what do you, what do you say to the difference between those two versions of the same thing? That's a beautiful inquiry. And a lot of times we do get into the place where we're telling ourselves I'm fine alone, but our actions are saying otherwise. And I went through a lot of that as well. And it feels a bit of a spiritual bypass. Like we know that we'll be fine alone for telling ourselves that to make ourselves feel better or to not feel or come across as, as longing or, or needy or desperate, but our actions have an intensity to them. Like, Oh my God, I need this date or I need this workout with this person. There's a sense of, of codependency on that, even though we might be telling ourselves otherwise. And typically underneath that is just a lot of hurt, a lot of, fear of rejection like we had talked about earlier and a um a wanting to believe like that we'll be fine alone but underneath that maybe being afraid that we will end up alone versus consciously single of okay I'm doing some healing work I'm getting clear on what I want and then I'll be open to partnership at at some point Uh, especially if someone has more of an anxious attachment style like I do it's actually really hard to be consciously single because our our feeling of safety in the world comes from knowing that someone is interested in us. And it sounds kind of backwards, but it's, you know, it's rooted from very young when we're children. And so the, the kind of inquiry, I guess, that you posed is really important for people to take stock of is, am I being authentic with myself? Like if I really deeply want relationship and I realize I don't want to be alone. Maybe I'd be fine alone, but I really don't want to be alone. Then that means I have to start working on some of these patterns and I can't just be dating unconsciously or blaming men or blaming the app or blaming where I live. And 
when we really own that desire of wanting to be in partnership and healthy partnership, that means that we have work to do. <laughs> and sometimes we don't, we don't want to do the work. It's easier to just have these unconscious patterns and then kind of layer this, this um, spiritual uh, thought on top of it. Um, but doing the work is actually super rewarding because then you will get a different and deeper partnership. But I think sometimes people are afraid to do the work because they think, well, what if I do the work and I don't get what I want? Um, maybe it's better to just stay unconscious about it. But you, I believe strongly people will always get what they want and it's just a matter of time. And once you have that confidence and that skill set by working with a mentor or doing certain you know, um, modalities, then you will you will always attract a great partnership. It just means that you'll probably have to change in the process. Yes, it's all about the self-inquiry and getting to know yourself better and, you know, knowing that your needs and your desires are important and they are absolutely a part of your spiritual path. Mm-hmm. So Violet, how can uh, people get a hold of you? How can they work with you? What kind of offering offerings uh, do you have for people to learn more about um, conscious dating and relationships? Yeah, on my website, violetling.com, I have a few options. And one of them is actually just a free call with me to talk about what's going on in your love life and see if it would make sense to work together. And if not, at least you get a lot of clarity about what's been going on. And if so, then, you know, you get an opportunity to actually work through some of the patterns. And so that free call is just at violetlang.com forward slash talk. And I tend to either work with people on conscious relationships through the lens of empowered dating and following your pleasure, like we've been talking about today. Um, my husband and I sometimes work with couples, not a ton, but, but we do work with couples sometimes. And I also work with women on better understanding their masculine and feminine energy. And then just in the last year, I've started working one-on-one with clients on sacred sexuality and bringing healthy sexual energy into each of our chakras and into our life. And that can be really helpful for anyone who's feeling kind of stuck or at an impasse in, in their current relationship or not super connected to their to their sexuality. And all the work I do is remote. I don't really do a lot of in-person work. So yeah, I'd love to connect with anyone listening who feels impacted by anything I've shared today. Great. And do you have social media? I do. Yep. On Facebook, it's just Violet Lang, my, uh, my business page. And I have a Facebook group called Free Your Feminine. It's about liberating our feminine energy collectively. And then also on Instagram, it's Violet Love Lang. And then I, my podcast is called The Pleasure Path, if anyone wants to check that out. It's primarily about dating, um, but I do have some special guests sometimes. And hopefully, Michelle, you'll be one of my special guests sometimes in the next few months. Yay, I hope so. And all of those links will be in the show notes. So you can just click down and uh, follow her on social media, check out some of her offerings. And she also has some free content via videos and her podcast. Thank you so much, Violet, for taking the time to talk with all of us today. It's my pleasure. I feel so grateful for this opportunity. And I love the work you're doing in the world. And I'm excited about all of your offerings on the subtle body and and the other things that you're creating. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Blistonic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the five-star rating or write a review. Let me know what you think about this. Share it with a friend, somebody who could use this content, somebody maybe who's single or needs a little help reviving the passion in their relationship. Share the love. Thank you so much to Kyle Piper. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, I'm having too much fun now. But I will connect with you next week, everyone. I hope you have an amazing day. Love you.